Welcome to Confidential, a podcast all about confidence, who has it, and how to get it. I'm your host, Hannah Faust. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to discuss life and love, happiness and health, and how we learn to feel great about ourselves. Welcome to Confidential Podcast, Connor Goldsmith. Hi, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Hannah, 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 Hannah. Do you prefer a certain way? Hannah. Okay. Hannah. Although, you know, I've never tried otherwise, so I don't know. No, like, strong preference. No. I just know Hannah's and Hannah's, and I feel like if you're a Hannah, I feel like you really care. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely met people that are H-A-N-A that are That's Hana. definitely like a Hannah, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm named after the um, mascot of a sorority, so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been in town from New York for quite some time. Yeah. Um, how has your trip been? It's been good. Yeah. Um, I am leaving on Wednesday. Um, we're recording on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's so <laughs> soon. Um, no, I was supposed to leave like two weeks ago and I keep um getting great meetings. So I've been extending my trip like repeatedly, but it's time to now actually stop spending money on airbnbs mm. and go home because <laughs> mm. you're a literary agent i am so you've just been uh here like getting a shit ton of clients basically that's, yeah that's the idea basically, that's incredible um i do a lot of um celebrity nonfiction stuff these days and uh the talent is here a lot of the time mm-hmm. and there's plenty of talent in new york but i like to come out here and meet with people who because the publishing apparatus is in new york so people mm-hmm. who are out here aren't necessarily always versed in it or thinking about it or whatever so it's nice right. to get out here and call people up and say like hi here's you know call up a talent manager and be like here's like three people on your list that I would love to chat with or whatever so um that's been sort of the goal yeah uh, you don't do exclusively celebrity nonfiction. no um I do mostly nonfiction. Mm-hmm. um I do I, I it, which is a pivot that I've done recently I used to do mostly sci-fi fantasy uh fiction Ooh, and I yeah. still do a lot of that Um, I just am doing less of it because, uh, I didn't make enough money. So, Mm. um, (laughs) the thing about fiction is that you have to complete the manuscript and sell like the complete book and have Mm -hmm. edited it to like perfection and whatnot. Um, nonfiction you sell in proposal. Mm. So I had a couple cases where like I would work on a novel with an author for like a year and then it like wouldn't sell. Oh. And that's a real sunk call because I don't get paid mm. until like your, my clients don't pay me. I take a mm-hmm. commission, a percentage from right. the sale. So if the book never sells, I don't make anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I just, I started exploring nonfiction and um, I work with, so yeah, I, I would say I work with a lot of culture critics and journalists mm. and things like that. And then, um, cause you can't just start with celebrity. Cause why would right. they, sign with you so you have to (laughs) you have to sort of convince people and um I was actually very lucky um in that um Chris and Dodie from Vanderpump Rules took a chance on me because we you know met up and really got along and um that sale uh opened a lot of doors for me Mm -hmm. and um so I'm very grateful to her for that yeah and her book is coming out soon, huh? Uh, yes, he's making you crazy by Kristen Doty uh, with Michelle Alexander, the author of How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Oh, that's so um, cool. Comes out June second. It is available for pre-order now, and you should pre-order it. A lot of people are like, "Oh, like," I know you see a lot of silly comments online. They're like, "Why would I take dating advice from Kristen from Vanderpump?" I'm like, that's the joke. It's a funny book. Mm. Like she's she gets it. Like she's it's tongue in cheek. I fuck comments online. Well, no, people are assholes. I'm just saying like, it's one of those things where 
that seems obvious to me. I'm mm-hmm. like, it's like the title is funny, guy. Like it's a joke. Yeah. I don't know. People are very. Well, I think like. I'm obviously obsessed with all all things Bravo reality TV. I mean, I we, was we too. Just, I mean, that's why I that's why I like you know was like oh this is something I want to do because I love the show. Yeah, and I'm obsessed with it in the way that it's like um, I this is the, the these shows are the greatest comedies I've ever seen. They oh, are so they're funny. really I mean they're 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 and some of them are just really high art. Like I think oh. Vanderpump in particular is like Shakespearean. Oh Shakespeare. Experian. Yeah. Uh, also, like Bethany Frankel's arc on oh, she's House of or like Housewives of Jersey to me is oh. like is really just. They had a they had a they had like a couple low point seasons in the middle there, yeah. but the first five are incredible, and the latest like three or yes. so have been great. Oh, so good! I really like New Jersey because that's the only season where they'll really beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> that's true. Also, um, I mean, I've always liked that because I think I think actually what's special about Vanderpump and about Jersey is sort of the same thing, which is that uh, the cast they weren't just like individuals cast. It's like with Jersey, it was like this is my sister, this is my sister, oh, yeah, this is like their actual family, and some like or like Dolores and Teresa have been friends for twenty years or yeah. whatever. And Vanderpump, similarly, it was like these couples who all worked together mm-hmm. and had known each other for years before the show started. And I think that kind of verisimilitude makes for a much realer reality show. I don't know. Those are my two favorite Bravo shows yeah. because of that, I think. Yeah. No, I can't even imagine. Like, I mean, I'm cautious about airing anything as far as the relationship goes with me and my family on this podcast, I think which like yeah. three people listen to. I don't know. You know, I can't, uh, I got to hand it to him for being willing to put that on display for the whole country. Oh, I think it's really brave. It's I so do. brave. I Because I get upset when, I mean, I have like 15,000 Twitter followers, which is, Ooh. yeah, right. No, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying like, no, I'm impressed. It's, it's enough <laughs> that I get, I mean, like I was quoted in like an Apple news piece about the Nevada caucus today, which I'm like, I, it was just like one of my tweets. I'm like, I didn't like, you know, yeah. suddenly you have random people talking to you. Yeah. Um, and that's like, so when you get to a certain level and I'm, I'm using myself as an example of a very, very small level yeah. of having a following, like very mm-hmm. small. Um, but once you're past about like 10 K followers on social of any kind, I think that, um, you do have to start thinking about it because yeah. suddenly people th- look at you kind of as a public figure that they can say anything they want about. And like Ugh. one, like one really nasty comment about me on Twitter, like will fuck up my day. And yeah. so I don't understand when I work with these reality people, I'm always really impressed because I don't think that I could weather the fact that like hundreds of people are saying mean things about you all day you know, long <laughs> and of course they have fans too and that must be helpful but it, i'm sure um, it helps balance it out know, but it's still and i mean this is it's true for any creative like i always tell my authors who are fiction authors i mean like not to read their reviews or mm-hmm. whatever like because or like don't like google yourself you know because it's just you know you have to you have to know what criticism to take seriously and what criticism to ignore and all that yeah. which is like easier said than done um and that's really hard because it's your work and that's very personal. But when your work is your literal life, it's mm-hmm. like there's really no yeah. separation. I think that must be really, really hard. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like I came to the realization last year that I got to buck the fuck up because I, you know, I'm not, I have like 30 some, I don't know, like 3000 something followers on Instagram. Like mm-hmm. I'm well aware that I'm no one. And um, I'm part of the LA City Municipal Dance Squad, which has a pretty like cult following um across 
I don't know, I guess the world. I mean, like mm-hmm. I just met people from Atlanta the other day that were like, you guys have a huge fan base in Atlanta, which is super cool. Um, but on that platform, like we get a lot of messages from people that I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you send that? You know? And right. I am like one of those things in particular is I'm the only plus size member of our dance squad. Mm. And, um, people have a lot of thoughts on that and they have a, a, and I'm like, fuck off, like fuck off, man. But like one weird message from someone in regards to our representation or, uh, anything like that in regards to size, like will throw me off for an entire day. Absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm entering, I'm trying to be a performer. That's like what I'm trying to do for my career. And so I'm welcoming lots of people in to say whatever the fuck they want about me. And so I really got to, I got to buck up because I don't care what this also because I stewed, like there was one message in particular last year that I stewed on for like a day. And I was just like, Ooh, I fucking hate this. Like I want to, respond to this girl like I was losing my mind and then I was I was you know going through and I looked at her profile and I noticed that she was in high school (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh my god like what a fucking waste of my time and energy I don't give a shit what a high schooler says but I still like uh, it wasn't up until that moment I I was like you know I mean it's it's hard to um to just let things go yeah like that I mean I was an actor growing up and <clears throat> not you know professionally but I just mean mm-hmm. I um I loved acting and I thought I wanted to be an actor yeah um but I was fat and I realized pretty quickly that I did not want to be the product like mm-hmm. my you know like our when our high school theater director said to me like you know if you want the lead like you need to lose weight because mm. um I don't think you're a believable love interest for so-and-so this yeah. pretty girl um and I mean he said that to me very point blank and I was like well okay um, how old were you 15 yeah that's fucked 16 um yeah that's so fucked that someone would say that to a fucking 15 year old I know I mean he was I think I mean we had I was like also the gay one and he was like mm. the gay teacher and I feel like we had like a there was like a weird tension between yeah. us that was like hostile that I, mm. I don't really know where that came because I was 16 so like get over it you know yeah I don't know but I mean I was like was I a little rude sure but like we all hate high school you know what I mean oh my like, god I was a monster in high right school. um but I don't know there was just like and he had been he had like been previously fat I think so he like mm. he would say to me he was like when I wanted to be the lead I lost 100 pounds I'm like well good for you bitch like yeah you know, like, yeah you're like thanks. projection right yeah, I'm like not my problem like, yeah how you feel about your and I also the thing that's crazy is like I wasn't actually fat like I look back Mm-hmm. and so like i i now i'm i'm now about the weight that i was then mm-hmm. um and like i then got much heavier mm-hmm. um but i had weight loss surgery two years ago and i mm-hmm. lo- i did lose 120 pounds yeah and um now i'm sort of back down to the weight i was in high school and yeah. at the time in high school i of course thought i was this enormous sure fat person and now i look back and i'm like oh my god like, i know you know i mean that's the thing about having body image problems or anything yeah. like that is that you always think it's the worst thing yeah. that could possibly happen. And, you know, not that being fat is bad, but we are taught that it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those things that's tricky. And now I'm just like, oh, I'm like a completely normal size. I just yeah. am like slightly bigger. Oh my God. When I think about the way that I saw myself in high school, when I was like deep in the depths of my eating disorder, like it, 
is insane. Yeah. Like you look back and you're like, I look cute in these pictures. Oh I my thought God. I, and I thought I was like a monster. I was told I was, yeah. I was not only normal size. I was like pretty thin. Yeah. And, but also, you know, here's the thing is that I was a, um, I was a competitive dancer and similar to maybe your, yeah. your director or drama teacher where there somehow like it was sort of decided that I was a bigger girl. Right. Um, and that blows my mind. Like, I don't know. I guess I'd have to look back and if I really cared, which I don't, but if I, I'd have to really compare pictures of me next to pictures of other people. I mean, really when I think about it, I'm like, Oh, I just have jeans that make my thighs like a little bit bigger or yeah, like I my have muscles. Really broad shoulders. Like yeah. It's that kinda, my I'm, muscles like my are more pronounced. I was never built to be a twink. Like my skeleton yes. doesn't work that way. You yeah. Know what I mean? And it's totally like, it is nothing more than that. And yet there was amongst the adults and the children, there was a little bit of an, um, an understanding between us all that I was chubby or whatever but right. i wasn't it's yeah. crazy well, it's, yeah i mean it's it's all sort of relative right yeah. and it's just it's all nonsense to begin with but it is all nonsense the, the thing that um but but what it did was i guess instill in me that i did not want to be mm. a public figure that where people i did not want to be someone who for a career did something where people felt like they could just talk about my appearance all the time yeah because i couldn't take it yeah um and now it's I mean, like in college I acted into college and then I, I played Mushnick in Little Shop freshman mm-hmm. year and I had a great time mm-hmm. and then they did Cabaret the following year and they wanted me to be Herr Schultz and I was like I'm not playing the fat Jew every single mm-hmm. year just because I am like a fat Jew yeah like <laughs> yeah or like you know part Jew whatever like mm-hmm. I don't want to if, if like you know Anybody who's super orthodox is listening. I'm patrilineal, so I'm just. But I'm saying, like, I would be cast specifically in these yeah. you know, roles, and I was like, I can sing the MC. I'm like a really good singer. Like, you know, this the MC doesn't have to be real thin. Yeah. Um. But and that was dispiriting, and I was like, I'm not playing Herr Schultz. He doesn't even mm-hmm. have a good song. Like, I'm out. Yeah. Um. And that was it, really, for me. And yeah. I. And that's why I ended up going behind the scenes. I love facilitating art. Mm-hmm. I love I'm very passionate about what I do I love finding people who I think have something important to say and making that bigger elevating that using whatever proximal power I have in the arts to lift other people up with me yeah um there's like a Toni Morrison quote where it's like if you have power you have to give power to someone else mm-hmm. like that's your responsibility I read that when I was a teenager and it really sort of stuck with me um and it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, I mean, even when I'm doing a celebrity book, like, you know, Kristen's book is fun. It's a fun light read mm-hmm. for the most part. But she also tackles some really serious stuff. She talked about that a little bit on some of the podcasts she's been on recently, like that she talks about some dark stuff, some dark times that I mm-hmm. think will help people. Yeah. And so that's sort of like what I try to do is I try to find projects that I think will advance the conversation in some way that will help people in some way that will maybe shine a light on someone who you think you know, but there's more to them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And illuminating that can be helpful. I mean, we just saw, like, this was not my book. I wish it was because the number one on the Times list right now, but Jessica Simpson's memoir just came out. Oh, yeah. I'd love to you know, no one knew these things, that she was a victim of childhood sexual abuse and survived that, or that she, I mean, people figured out that she was an alcoholic but she's yeah. never talked about it before and so mm-hmm. it's like things like that I think that that book's probably going to help a lot of people and it's you know not the 
image of Jessica Simpson that people would right. imagine. So that's sort of what I try to do. I'm, you know, in the world that we're in right now, politically speaking and everything, it can feel really futile. Like you can't accomplish anything yeah. that matters. And so for me, you know, I love working with culture critics who are advancing ideas that I think can make the world a better place. I like working with journalists who I think are doing important work and, you know, illustrating things that are not being brought to light. Um, and in fiction, I mean, I really believe in the ability of narrative to change people's minds and mm -hmm. to open people to new perspectives. So mm -hmm. that's sort of like what I do. And I like doing it. I like being behind the scenes. It doesn't, um, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, but the fact is that I did sort of retreat mm. because I did not have the confidence in myself to say it's me under the spotlight. Like yeah. I'm going to be the celebrity. Like that is not something I felt. And of course it's not just like saying, yes, I'm going to do it. And then of course you get it, but I didn't want to try, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I didn't want to be an acting student. I didn't want to do that because yeah. I knew that... I was not physically built mm -hmm. to be a matinee idol. Like it was just not going to happen yeah. for me. I mean, there's like the gay factor too, and I'm not an enormously straight passing gay guy. Mm -hmm. So that is because like we all know a million gay guys in Hollywood who yeah. are not out and yeah. who are, have great careers, but mm -hmm. like, you know, I would have been limited, I think in my roles as well. So that was a yeah. consideration. Um, you know, and so what, what I like doing is is sort of, I like working with underdogs. Like I mm -hmm. um, I don't work at CAA or WME or one of those big, you know, huge agencies. I work at a boutique called Fuse Literary that is just literary, you know, book representation. And I'm the only person who's doing celebrity there. Well, my, by the way, Gordon Warnock has some celebrity too, but they're, it's more like um, memory stuff that's mm -hmm. not, you know, it's, it's different. He has a different vibe. Um, and, uh, like, you know, I therefore don't get handed A-list clients from uh -huh. WME or whatever. So I, what it is, is like, I find people that get me excited. Yeah. And a lot of the time in terms of finding people who are not spoken for by one of those big agencies and have not been claimed by like an in-house lit agent or whatever, a lot of the time that is like queer talent or trans mm -hmm. talent or mm -hmm. black talent or other POC talent, like because minorities of any stripe are not as valued in right. terms of like their cachet as a brand. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of dovetails nicely with my politics on some level, because uh, that's, those are the voices I want to be elevating anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but it also so happens that they're the voices that often need someone like me to like be a gatekeeper who goes that person. I want them like yeah. they have something to say. Um, so I don't know. I find I find my work very very satisfying, but I do think sometimes about like what would my life have been like if I had felt secure enough in myself to not worry what other people were going to think of me if I tried to be the product myself. Yeah, you know I think about that sometimes because when I was in high school, I was going to be an actor. That was that was it. I was going to be an actor. I was going to be famous. This whole thing, and then I dated this monster. 
um, who I thought I was going to marry, that was not going to let that fly. And so I started exploring other opportunities and then just suddenly didn't want to be an actor anymore. And then that was right when I was going to college. And that's, you know, my, my path was being taken. And I found my way back. Um, But I think that uh, for me in retrospect, I learned a lot along the way. And now I realize that as much as I want to perform and I will be an actor that um, creatively my career needs to be a little bit more multifaceted. I don't think I would be satisfied um, just being someone that goes and does pilot season every year until I like get that you know, get that role or get that thing that changes my career. Um, you know, so it, it, it taught me things along the way, but yeah, I do, I do sort of wonder, I think people who are really talented and are interested in a career in the arts, it's just there, anything could come along and toss you right off and discourage you right away. Absolutely. And well, the arts are a really unforgiving space to Mm -hmm. begin with. I mean, um, I know I, I've been on panels where people, about breaking into publishing specifically. Mm. And I get asked like, well, how do I do that? I was on a, I was in the, my friend Jennifer Baker has an amazing um, like podcast and organization called Minorities in Publishing. And she's like a black um, production editor at a major house. And uh, she had me on a panel like three years ago um, with a bunch of other people. I was like the gay person. And mm. there was, it was like, it was like, sure. different, you know, I said to her, I was like, I'm the only white person on this panel. Right. Cause I don't want to like, be on, <laughs> I don't want to be like on this diversity panel. And it's like, cause that's, and she's like, don't worry about it. It's yeah, fine. You're yeah. not. I was like, cause that's always like not great optics. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not something I want to do. Yeah. Um, but no, it was actually a really great panel. And, uh, I, but so the question was like, how do we get my more like diverse people into publishing? How do I break into public? And I said to people, I was like, well, let me just be very transparent because I think transparency is really, really important. Um, I was born in New York City. My parents met at Harvard Law School and are attorneys. Uh, I got my first job in the arts because my uncle is the star of the movie Gremlins. Mm -hmm. And he taught at NYU, taught acting, and I wanted to be an agent. And he knew an agent who was looking for an intern and I got an interview. Like, and that's a little nepotism. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I mean, the nepotism got me little baby nepotism. yeah i'm saying the nepotism it was enough nepotism that i got an unpaid internship that i worked for a year full-time for no money yeah but that got me in the door and lots of people didn't get that Mm -hmm. you know and that so basically what i say to people is i'm like well and then my my parents lived in the area and i lived with them rent-free and i commuted and in their car and you know like i had that safety net Mm-hmm. And most of the people I know in publishing who have maintained, like of the cohort, the age cohort, I'm turning 32 soon mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. And everyone I know who's like my age, there's like five of us left in terms of the people who like, we all were like, we're starting at the same time. Yeah. And it's like, there are more editors because they have real salaries, but like on the agenting end, cause we, yeah. it takes a long time for that to be any money. Cause it's commission based. Um, there's like four of us who yeah. have hung in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the people who have um, had either a significant other with a really great job or family money. Mm. Um, and that's not true of everyone. I know people who've worked three jobs their whole career or whatever, but the demands of a creative job are so time consuming that I, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. Like, and that's a, that's just a privilege that I've like, I've never had to 
do that. Yeah. I've been able to focus my time on this fully because I was able to like, you know, be a parasite on my parents for a couple of years longer mm-hmm. than I think most people can. Yeah. And that, so and I, I said on the panel, I was like, I'm not saying this to discourage you by any means because I think it's really important that we get, because right now it's like, you know, if you're only going to pay, I mean, my first job in publishing that had a salary was 27000 a year, no benefits. <laughs> In Manhattan. So, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, if you're not going to pay people and they have to be in New York City, then you're self selecting for people who don't need money yeah. in, or in New York. Yeah. Which means you're self selecting statistically mostly for upper middle class to upper class white kids who were born mm-hmm. there. Um, and they keep going, like, we need to diversify publishing. I'm like, well, then you need to pay your employees. Like, yes. that's sort of the bottom line. Um, but so I said to this person, I was like, I'm not trying to scourge you. I think it's really important. What I'm trying to tell you is that I started 10 steps ahead of you yeah. by sheer luck. And most of the people I know who are very successful started about 20 steps ahead of me. Yeah. Because they, you know, had whatever connection or this or that. The other. Like, and that's the, these businesses, like show business, publishing, anything arts or into fine arts. Mm-hmm. So much of it is about relationships. And so much of it is about networking and meeting the right people. And like, where did you go to school? Is your yeah. alumni network going to help? Or like, yeah. mine never really has. But every now, I mean, I went to Oberlin and every now and then, like, I run into someone who's like, oh, I went to Oberlin. And that weird connection of like oh we both went to like the freak school in the snow in ohio that like makes them inclined to like remember me and then call me back like things Mm -hmm. like that and that's just you know i went to a school yeah that's just total nonsense like there's nothing there's nothing meritocratic about that yeah um so it's tricky it's tricky Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a difficult question to figure out i mean i had a thread that went kind of like viral on this at the end of last year on your twitter yeah yeah um because i mean i was basically like i I mean so i did my my big nonfiction pivot was mostly last year and i signed 21 Mm. clients um over the course of the year yeah thank you um and you know i went from having like 12 clients to now i have like in the time now I've got almost 40 but wow. it's just one of those things well because it's the thing is it snowballs and like mm-hmm. once you have people people get referred to you or whatever yeah. like like I'm talking to another Bravo celebrity now be, I'm working with another Bravo I can't say who but like okay. I'm working with another Bravo celebrity because on the strength of my deal for Kristen that yeah. person was interested oh absolutely. you know what I mean so it's like that that kind of thing is like or, you know, I know someone, I knew someone here in LA who knew someone's talent manager and I reached out because I was interested in that person. And then the talent manager was like, oh, sure, we can meet. And then I was like, here are three or four of your other clients I'd love to talk to. And I set up meetings with all yeah. four. But he set me up meetings with all five of them because we had a good meeting. Like it really is just, yeah, you know, it, it, it any business that's based on client relations sort of builds itself right. that way. Um, but what I said in the Twitter post was I was just like, I really thought I was going to have to quit doing mm. this. Cause I um, was not making any money. Like, yeah. I was not making any money. And I'm just very grateful. I was, it was basically, I was, I, I shared the profiles on my website of all the new clients I had signed that year. Mm-hmm. And I was just and like in sequence and I was like, here's this person, this person, this person, you know, and I was like, and all of these people took a chance on me because I hadn't really, I'd only sold one nonfiction title when I signed most of these people, but mm-hmm. they were like, they, they got what I was trying to do. They were excited about my excitement about their work. Um, and 
they had they took a chance on me they had faith in me and that i think that when it comes to like self-confidence in business so much of it is about overcoming that like imposter syndrome feeling that you're a fraud yes and it wasn't until like this trip out to LA, like I got here middle of January and it really wasn't until this trip to LA. Cause I, I had like 20 meetings lined up and I was like, and I'm coming off the strength of like, you know, I did sell this book for yeah. a celebrity. It was announced in people magazine. Like mm-hmm. it's coming out. Like it was, it was a, ni- it was a very nice deal. Like, you know, um, I was like, I, I, I can do this. I'm like yeah. a real person who can yeah. do like, I'm I'm a real person in this field. I'm not faking it till I make it anymore. Yeah. Like I'm making it. But it takes a long time to get that footing. And especially in the arts, I think that you don't have the time, most Mm -hmm. people, because you don't, like, I really just, I mean, at a certain point, I got priced out of my apartment in New York City and moved back in with my parents. Because I was like, hi, guys, like, very chic in my 30s to live with my parents, but Mm -hmm. I don't have any fucking money right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. And, you know, I think that every, your therapist can tell you that, validation needs to come from within and every fucking you know holistic psychologist like instagram account can (laughs) make these memes about how validation has to come from within and it's uh that's totally true but also external validation really fucking helps and to be able to uh have those things work together is super important and to be able to feel like okay i to to work so hard and get to the point where you're like i feel like an imposter i feel like a fraud i don't know and then get to the point where you're like i can I can do this can really be aided by other people saying, yeah, you can, and you will, and we're going to work with you. And so to have those things go hand in hand is really important to become a a self-confidence in business or in whatever your career path is. And so it's hard because I've gone through phases where I have a lot of one and not a lot of, a lot of the other or vice versa. Um, but it's really hard to get them to work together. And only when they're working together, are you going to be successful? Yeah. And you do have to do it until you get there. Like there's no, it's, there's no way forward, but through, it really Mm -hmm. is just one of those things. Like, and with, with me, I mean, part of it is I, did that shift into a different kind of book and I found that I think I'm very good at this yeah um whereas like I love my fiction clients and I love working on their books but I am not sure that I have the most commercial eye for fiction Mm. you know um I have some very successful authors which is you know much to their credit because they're incredible (laughs) um but my taste is in fiction is a little weird and I think sometimes it doesn't you know, catch fire in the way that I think it will. Whereas I think I have a much more naturally commercial eye for brand development of Mm. nonfiction talent. Yeah. Well, I think, um, every artist has to, and I'm referring to you as an artist because I think that in some way you are one. Absolutely. I think of it as a creative field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Every artist has to go through the phase uh, where they say, okay, maybe I'm going to do this thing for a little while that's going to be satisfying, sure, but mostly for the cash. And then there's, once you do that, maybe there's an opportunity later to go back to the stuff that's not going to earn you any cash, but it's going to earn you a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, and I want to continue to do the weird fiction that I like. Yeah. So I need to also do books that keep the lights on. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I've managed to thread the needle there because, like, yes, is doing a book with a Bravo celebrity like very a very commercial thing to do? Absolutely. Do I also like adore Kristen and 
love that show and yeah. think she's great. Yes. Yeah. And do I think that the book is going to do important things in the world? Also, yes. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, when you were talking about your career, I was like, damn, you really found something that's so cool because it's creative. It's um, doing something that's meaningful. And there's uh, like, I'm a left and right brained person mm-hmm. and I am satisfied by doing things that are sort of businessy. You know, we talk about as if you're, you're either like a creative artist or you're a good salesperson, you're a good, you know, what is that? Right brain, left, left brain. I don't whatever. actually, I'm not entirely sure. I know. Yeah. The I'm not, but you, people, or, I mean, I know the difference. I don't know which one is which. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like colloquially, I can't quite think of it right now. Yeah. And um, we, we always pit those two together. I think the right brain is the logic brain and the left brain is the artistic one, but I'm actually not sure i have obsessive compulsive disorder so like for mm. me uh i love a spreadsheet like businessy yeah. stuff can be very satisfying to me if it feels like i'm accomplishing things like if i can check off things on a list i really mm. enjoy that um and uh yeah i mean there's something very like because the thing is my job is mostly about relationships and it's about mm. socializing and it's about going to events and saying hi to people and making an impression mm-hmm. and presenting myself well. And, um, you know, I am the product in a way that I didn't think like, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going behind the scenes, but then you still are a brand like yeah. you, cause you have to impress mm-hmm. if you're going to get any kind of person with their own platform to trust you because I'm basically asking people to let me shepherd part of their career right it's a really big responsibility for them to agree to allow me yeah um and I can't ask that of them if I'm not secure in the fact that I'm doing what I need to be doing and Mm -hmm. of course you learn on the job I've made mistakes like I haven't been perfect like I've fucked things up you know Um, but I don't have anything bad to say about anyone I've ever worked with like it's been a you know it's it's a learning experience all around and I think that um, every year I'm more secure in the fact that I know what I'm doing and that's great that is the thing that's most sort of freeing I think yeah because you're like now when I meet when I met with people this trip, I was just like, and here's, here's the editors I could think of for this who would love to see that with mm-hmm. these imprints. And I, here's how I would, you know, map out the proposal with you. And here's like a co-writer that I think would work really well with you. They worked on so-and-so's book. Like, you know, things like that, that just come from experience. Yeah. Um, and you can't fake that. Yeah. Like you just have to, you just have to put the work in. Yeah. Um, but it is, it all goes in hand in hand, right? Because like once you feel like you know what you're doing, you're going to be more confident about yourself, which gives you more mm-hmm. opportunities, which then enables you to get more experience because yeah. you've gotten the opportunity. You know, so it, it really, there is a lot of bravado to it starting out. Like just, oh yeah, I'm the best. Like mm-hmm. I can do this, even if you're not sure you can. But yeah. the goal, I guess, is for each project to take you to a higher place on that ladder where you're like, Oh no, I really am like doing this yeah. and I know how to do it and yeah. I, I know what I'm doing. And in any field, it's about a specific skill set, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's your experience of that in your creative work? Oh man. I think that I'm constantly toggling back and forth a place of 
I am the most confident person in the room and I feel like I could crush everyone and then being so intimidated by everything around me. And I th- I feel like I've really distilled it down to when it comes to me as a as a creative, I feel very um confident in what I'm making and what I'm doing. When I feel like there has to be some attached results, uh, I start to feel very nervous about that. Um, And I feel like, you know, I can do something creative and the whole world can hate it. I don't give a fuck. If I liked it, then whatever. But when there's sort of someone who's relying on me for some sort of results out of that, that makes me very nervous. And then I start to sort of doubt myself in that way. And I do a lot of things. um, I, you know, all my entire, (laughs) my entire creative career is pretty much unpaid. Um, but I, yeah, I don't make my money off of being a creative yet. And I think what, uh, well, most people don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're still waiting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that once that becomes something that I'm doing regularly, that's going to have to be a big shift because situations in which like even I, I, I created this event with two of my friends called foolhardy, which is this chaotic, um, immersive theater meets dance party meets performance night of performances like this just chaos art night and it happens at an art gallery called honor fraser gallery in mid-city and the woman who honor fraser um owns the gallery when we started doing this uh you know she just lets us use the space like we don't have to pay anything for the space and she's not expecting anything from it. But the first time we met with her, I was like, Oh my God, I'm in this fancy woman's office and she is going to really want this to be. I just had all these ideas of what her expectations were, even Mm -hmm. though she knew that a dollar wasn't coming into her necessarily. This was like not a money making adventure. It was just a celebration of creativity and everything about, I hadn't even come up with the concept for my specific performance yet. And I didn't even care. I was like, whatever. I'll, I, if I come up with it 30 seconds before, it's still going to be great because I feel confident in that part. But it was all all of it, like the production aspect where I was like, this whole night has to be killer for her. That's that's when I start to feel like I'm, a, I'm an imposter, like I don't know what I'm doing. Well, and that's what's so hard about, what's been so hard about my job is yeah. that my job is literally to... Yes, they're counting on me because I'm their representative. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like if I make a mistake, it's their money that gets lost. So that is a lot of responsibility. And, um, you know, thank God for benzos, I guess. (laughs) I'm kidding. Sort of. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, well, I will say one nice thing about Los Angeles is the legal weed. Because if I can just like have an edible and go to sleep, that's much that's extremely preferable to like, let's have a clonopin every day. Because that's even with Mm -hmm. the prescription, because like that shit's really addictive and it's not good for you. Yeah. Um, I went I used to go to New York like every six months. And um, every time when I stayed with that, because I stayed with the same friend, I... I always remember being like, oh, God, weed is still illegal here. That's crazy. So we just my mother just forwarded me an email like because we argue a lot about Cuomo, who I don't care for. Uh, uh Um, And my mother's more of like a moderate Democrat. And Mm -hmm. so but she was like, look what Cuomo did, because apparently like they're going to vote on legalizing marijuana like next week or something. And I was just like, mom, activists did this. But yeah, um, (laughs) she was like, Cuomo is the one who did the fact finding mission. I'm like, "Okay, fair. 
he did do a fact finding mission or whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, point is that would be nice because yeah. um, I am just a stressed out person a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a very anxious person. Mm-hmm. So I, and when you're in a field where interpersonal relationships are everything, it sucks to have an anxiety disorder where you're constantly worried that you've like made people upset with you. Yeah. Cause I'm just, cause you know, I leave an event and I'm just like, Oh, that was great. And then like an hour later I'm like, Oh my God, actually did I offend that person? Or mm. did this person think I'm an idiot or did, you know? Yeah. And then you start spiraling because if this person was not impressed with me, then that's going to impact my clients. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it's a, it's a mess. Oh my God. I'm so, the queen of the spiral. Yeah. So you just need to be able to, however you can even that out in a healthy way is good. So I, I like that I can like have a gummy out here because otherwise, you know, it's just, you know, I'm glad we all have psychiatric medications and everything, but, Mm. but I feel like it would be easy. Luckily this hasn't happened for me, but I, I can understand. I mean, they used to joke about agents having like the three martini lunch Mm -hmm. and I feel like that makes sense. Cause I mean, I'm like, you know, yeah, a good stiff drink would calm me down a little bit from all of the questioning I'm doing of whether I'm doing the right thing today, whether I like handled that negotiation well. Because I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm the one who has to go and say like, here's how much money we want. I'm God, reserving fuck. these rights. You know, yeah. like, that's my job, and I like doing it. I find it invigorating, but it's also I then have to call the client and go like, here's how much money I got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot riding on my ability to keep cool and to also to communicate my desires in such a way as to get what I want. Dang. Are you Um, in therapy? This sounds like everything you juggle sounds crazy. Um, so I really should be in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a psychiatrist who's amazing. Yeah. uh, And I've been with her since I was like 18, but, um, yeah, but, uh, I don't have a regular therapist right now, which is a problem actually because of my weight loss surgery. You're supposed to like, you're really supposed to have a therapist. And oh, I, interesting. Um, well, because like if you had an addiction to food or like a yeah. disordered eating situation to such an extent that you need yeah. surgery to intervene, which I absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something psychologically going on there that yeah. you're not just going to fit. Like the surgery can prevent you from, binge eating but it mm-hmm. can't um fix whatever no it can't fix what's anxiety going on in your brain. or stress mm-hmm. is what makes you do that um and there's also a lot of concern like when you can't eat that way anymore because you've had that surgery a lot of people who've had bariatric surgery then become alcoholics or become mm. drug addicts yeah. because you displace the addiction onto something else because you like you have an addictive personality yeah so luckily that hasn't happened to me but that's great you, you're supposed to like they really encourage you to have a therapist yeah. my thing is that i travel so much yeah that like you know i was just here in la for two months yeah like and i skyped with my psychiatrist for our like meeting <laughs> mm-hmm. but i mean I don't know if I'm going to do therapy, I want to do like a weekly yeah. or bi-weekly thing. And so I need to figure out where I'm going to be first. Cause yeah. I'm still like, you know, so like I said, I got priced out of my apartment in Brooklyn. So like I moved back in with my parents and I've been with them for a bit while I save money and they're in the suburbs. So mm. like, get, and I'm in the city all the time, but like not on, not regular days. Cause I work yeah. from home. So it's like, Am I going to be in the city every Tuesday to go to a therapist in Manhattan? Mm. I'm not sure. Do, should I get a therapist out in the suburbs? I, there's not a huge selection. And I like, I want a gay male therapist if I'm going to have a therapist because yeah. I have things I want to talk about that are like specific. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, am I moving to Los Angeles? Like, I don't know yeah. what's going on with me. So it feels, I, I don't want to start a relationship that's that 
intimate and then have to do it again. Yeah. So, so I'm in this real transition period in my career and my life right now. And that's, of course, why I should have a therapist. But it's precluding me from feeling like I there should. There are a lot of barriers to, to entry it's tough, yeah. with therapy. Um, that's that's on my to do list for this year. Is like to a figure out where I'm going to be yeah. most of the time, and then wherever that is, to have a therapist there. Because yeah. right now it's like I Skype with my psychiatrist. I call my rabbi. Like I have like people <laughs> to talk to. I call my mom. That's good. You know. Um, Having a toolbox, I think, is super important. Yeah, but, like, it's not quite the same yeah. as having, like, someone who you go and just vent to and they give you advice for, yeah. like, and they're a professional. Like, my yes. mom is incredible, but she's not, like, a professional therapist. Yeah. Like, you know. Are your parents lawyers? They are, yeah. Wow. Yeah. What kind of law do they practice? Um, my dad is a corporate lawyer um, in, like, fraud prevention. He makes sure everybody's doing the right thing. Um, and uh, my mom does wills and estates and stuff. And your sister's a doctor. My sister's in medical school, yeah. Mm. And my brother works IT. And you were like a tiny artist. I was I was the oldest, so I was the oh. I was first. I'm oh, your oh. dog. Um Yeah, you were like And we're back. I'm the <laughs> oldest, so I um I was sort of uh, they joke sometimes that like I was the alpha model and like then they improved on the you know, oh, my, my parents God. don't joke out. It's just a joke in my family <laughs> that it's like, oh, that's like Connor doesn't make any money, but like you know Brian has a good has like a retirement fund, and Katie's going to be a doctor, so great. Oh my god! Um, which is someone has to take care of our parents in their old age, and it's yes. probably not going to be me because I have a commission based arts career. Yeah. So like, let's not. Well, let's I, not let that fall on me. If yeah. just for their sake, I don't want them to be depending on uh, on my figuring that all out. So yeah, my my siblings because I have two siblings as well. And I think it'll be me in the long run. But as of right now, it's definitely not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a plan, you know. Well, I've got I mean, a plan. Lu- luckily, we're all pretty close. So I think that, you know, we're stronger than the sum of our parts. Basically. Do they live in New York? Um, my sister's in medical school in Long Island. My mm-hmm. brother lives in, in New York. That's nice. We're all in New York. So that's the thing is, like, I really am contemplating, like, a more serious move to Los Angeles just because mm. my career is really pulling me here mm-hmm. um but that's hard because like my entire family is there yeah and all of my I mean not all of my friends because I've made friends out here and yeah. some of my friends have moved here because we're in creative field so yeah um but you know it's hard and and like my cat you know or like my oh you my know God. like my dogs are my parents dogs so I can't take them with me and yeah. then like the cat lives out there now because I got priced on my apartment and he loves the yard and the dogs so I'm not gonna like yank him out of that and go it's like, let's move across the country. I mean, and that's a confidence question itself, right? Is like, can I strike out on my own? And I mean, I said to my mother when I was coming out on this trip, because this is the longest I've been out here. It was like two months. And I was like, I feel like it feels like right before I went to college. Mm. Like, and I was like, I can't do it. I can't. And then I got out here and I was like, oh, I can do this. This is fine. Yeah. You know, and I like being here and I like the energy here. Um, I do sometimes feel like... As like a New Yorker, I in New York like people are a lot more direct, um, mm-hmm. and I do find that sometimes here I'm not sure where I stand with people in a mm-hmm. way that I don't experience in New York. Like, does this person like me, or are they being polite? Because yeah. in New York, that's not really how we play the game. Like, it's just sort of like you know if someone doesn't really care for you, like you yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, even if they're being polite, you're just like, yeah, but they don't have time. You know. Yeah. Whereas here I think people are like, oh my God, hi, it's so good to see. And I'm never sure if they actually 
are excited to see me. Yeah. Um, but and that feels sort of more like an LA phenomenon that I, but it's something you just have to get used to. And it's just, people are interacting in a different way with each other. It's not better or worse. It's just yeah. like, you need to, it's about reading the room and realizing you're in a slightly different context yeah. that you're from the one that you're used to. Yeah. You know, also I think it kind of depends on who, on who you're interacting with. I mean, I, the, oh God, the entertainment industry is garbage. And like just the only way that I can even possibly exist in it is being the talent or whatever. Cause it's so nebulous that, and so outside of this like corporate type, um, entertainment indus insider stuff that, you know everyone's just like yeah you're the fucking talent like no like go off in the corner and no one gives a fuck what you're doing um but you know everyone in LA it's like that nepotism that you mentioned like everyone's afraid to burn a bridge I think that's right and that's what it is is I'm like it's like do you like me or are you concerned about alienating me because I might be useful to you in the future and that's I think the slightly different and that isn't something I'm not really used to and so that because in New York like I mean no one gives a shit yeah it's like you know, do people want to burn a bridge if they're in publishing? Do they want to burn a bridge with an agent? Like, no, not necessarily. But like, is it going to be a real problem for them if they're like, I don't want to work with him? No. Yeah. And And here it is more nebulous. And so I think that you never know how someone might prove useful to, to your career. And you never know how someone might be able to provide an opportunity for you. So I do, it's not that I'm like worried about being used or anything like that. Like this business is built, any business in, in the arts really is built on exchanges of favors on interpersonal relationships on like you, if you could do this for me, I can do this for you in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Like I expect that it's not something that bothers me. Um, I just, especially when you're trying to make friends because you're in a strange place, it's just like, does this person want to be friends with me? Or is this like a potentially useful career thing for us are we ha- is this a business lunch or are we friend lunching like I'm not yeah. it's still like just trying to figure that all out is is tricky and I've been lucky like everybody here has been really nice yeah um, I just worry because I have an anxiety disorder yeah oh my god <laughs> I know well and Angelina's like we don't state our intentions like right we do not (laughs) whereas we're just like I'm walking here and like we're telling you exactly what we're doing so I'm I'm not I'm just I'm less used to having to like divine someone's intentions I think it's um most prevalent in the dating scene because I haven't even tried that uh, 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 god bless um I am delightfully single right now, but I have been in phases where I really want a relationship. And so I'll just say that like first, second date, talking on an app, whatever, because I'm not going to waste my time if you're also not looking for a relationship. And the feedback I get is that that's crazy. Like, I mean, not crazy, Mm. but people overly forward. Yeah. Or I guess when I end up seeing, when I ended up dating someone for a little bit, it was like, Oh, I really liked how right out, out the jump, you told me what you were looking for. And I feel like that never really happens. Everyone's feeling each other out. And I'm not really like a feel out person. Like if I want to be in a relationship, I'm going to go out and look for a relationship. Right. I'm going to say what I mean. And so I think that you can really identify it in the dating world, but it does trickle over to everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of similar and I actually was talking about this um, 
with Laura Marie Shane Hall's when mm-hmm. I did Babe on the on the bonus episode. We're both friends with Laura. This is yes. the, this is like the Shane Hall cinematic universe now. <laughs> like there's all these podcasts that are interconnected. I'm like, yeah, let me do them all. Um, yeah, but uh, take a tour. Yeah, I was like, I should do Tierney's. I should do Molly's. Oh like I want to do everybody's yeah. podcast. I, I really do enjoy doing this, and I'm learning. If you're one of those people who thought I was too interrupty on Babe, I am learning <laughs> how to pod. <laughs> Um, it's hard because when you're having a conversation with people, it's easy to like talk over each other. Oh, and then yeah. when you hear it back, you're like, oh, that uh, is Whatever. that sounds horrifying to listen to. Like, because it's just a crosstalk thing. Um, but anyway, the point is, uh, this was uh, something we talked about more on the bonus app, but it was just about how when you're in the arts, um, everything is built on an exchange of favors. And I think mm. that people appreciate, certainly I do, and I find that the way I am most successful at getting what I need from people is just asking. Just yeah. saying like, hi, I genuinely value your friendship, but also I really could use help with this thing. Can you do that for me? Mm-hmm. And then in the future, I owe you one. Yeah. Um, and I think that being forthright about that, which is, a, I was told by someone who I'm friends with who's out here that like in his experience, New York people often do well out here because we're not afraid to do that in like an unvarnished way. And it can be, if you're not careful, it can come across tacky. Yeah. But, and I'm sure I have on occasion, you know, but I think that being really transparent and forthright about like what you need and what favors you're asking of people and what, you know, what business relationship you see yourself having with someone and how you can help each other. I think that that like cutting through sort of, the fog that way yeah um it's healthy and i think that and with laura and i sort of agreed is like i'm never going to be offended if someone directly says to me like hi connor here's something you could do for me that i would really appreciate like can you oh, do yeah. it yeah because rather than wheedling around and beating around the bush uh, and trying to make no. me figure out what you want me to do yeah which like Again, it's like if you, that that I, I get that that's like maybe more polite and like I don't I, I don't I understand that impulse and I understand that approach to like life. It's just well, it's I would really much rather. Yeah, well, it's annoying for me because I'm just like not. It's like I don't want to solve the puzzle of our friendship. Like I want us to like, and it's much easier to hang out and actually be friends with someone who works in your business if you've already discussed what you can do for each other in the business. Yeah. Like if it's like I already know that like this person would like me to look at this proposal for them or like they already know that I'm trying to get into such and such event and maybe they can or like introduce me to so and so yeah and once we get that out of the way we can just like chat about yeah you know their boyfriend or like their trouble with their mom or whatever and be actual friends yeah because we're not like dancing around and I feel like what you're saying about dating is similar like I don't want to like if I'm actually interested in someone I'm going to tell them like I'm actually like I would like to actually date you yeah because if they don't want to actually date me and I've been here, I've been like there where it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. We're not on the same page and that's yeah. my bad. So at this point, like in my thirties, which, you know, I know is still young, but it feels old cause it's the oldest I've ever been. Um, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I don't have time to figure that out. Yeah. I'm not, and like, you know, I think of myself as perceptive, but I'm not the best necessarily at reading 
people's veiled yeah feelings. well i don't know what the dating scene is like in new york but i'll tell you exactly what it's fucking like at least for straight people in <laughs> los angeles is that you know we encounter and i mean i i only date men so this is a, an exclusive experience that I'm i mean same to. so <laughs> <laughs> um but like you know they really try they they spend a lot of time acting however the fuck they want to act but without letting you know what their intentions are and so all of my friends dating histories are littered with this experience where it's like you're seeing someone for a while and it seems like he he wants to date you because he's dating you he's acting like he's dating you and then he doesn't want a relationship and shit like that and I'm just like listen I'm not fucking around for that kind of thing and my most successful relationships I've ever had no matter how serious they were started in me within like five fucking minutes being like, yo, what, what's up? Like, what are we doing here? Let's lock down these boundaries real quick and then we can all move along and party till the end of time. That's a very lesbian approach. (laughs) No, like I don't, most of, most of my close friends are like lesbians and queer women. So I I think maybe I've also internalized that. Like they just love to like on the second date be like, where's this going? What's the, you know, like love that. women want to know. Yeah. Cause they've got like plans. They've got stuff to figure out. Yes. Um, You know what you should read though? You should read Chris and Dodie's book, which you could now (gasps) pre-order. He's making you crazy with Michelle Alexander. No, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to keep plugging. No, it is all, it is all like funny stories about. Yeah. doing exactly that kind of shit where you're just yeah. like, what is going on What's here? dating like in New York? Well, gay dating is always mm-hmm. different, I think. Like, we, it's so app-based mm. like, or like mutual friends or, because like, it's not, we can't really just like go to, you don't really, I mean, I guess you used to meet people at the bars, but the gay bar yeah. scene is kind of on a, a downswing. It's interesting being in West Hollywood where it's so thriving because yeah. there are very successful gay bars in New York, but there's no really centralized location anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like it used to be Chelsea, but a lot of most of the, the, the gentrification that's just like sweeping. Yeah, a lot of the major city. ones have shut down. Yeah. Haven't they? Um, all the ones from when I was young, except for like Barracuda down there are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Eagles never going anywhere, but that's mm-hmm. like on the edge of the world on 11th Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you go there when you're already a little hammered, um, <laughs> you know, and Hell's Kitchen now is more the place, but that's becoming too expensive. You know, you can go out to Brooklyn. There's stuff in Williamsburg and in Bushwick and there's now stuff in Queens, but it's sort of spread out and it depends on the vibe you want. And um, I don't know. It's tricky. I uh, I find these days that like the best like dating resources I have, which like, you know, it's just like, which apps do you use? And I'm like, Twitter, mm. <laughs> like, you know, it's like someone in my DMS or, or someone Ooh, DMs I go in. because like hot. you get to know people first on mm-hmm. like, and then it's like, Oh, and you, you, it's like, you know, this person's gay, you know, that you think they're attractive, you know, like, you know, yeah. and then you get up to a conversation then eventually it's just like, want to get a drink or something, you know, yeah. that, um, so that's sort of like my 21st century solution, I guess. It's yeah. Like, you know, Instagram DMs and Twitter DMs. But wow. It's not. Love that. Yeah. I mean, but but I don't know how else. Like, everyone's always just like, like join a club or something. I'm like, what do I join, join a, a club? club? Yeah, like a, like a gay sports oh, league yes, or yes, like yes. a I gay men's choir or something <laughs> like that. And I'm just like, I'm busy. A. Yeah. B, I don't like playing sports. So I don't want to join a gay sport club. Yeah. And um, they were like, my mother was like, join the gay men's chorus. I'm like, first of all, like, 
that's a lot of rehearsal work and everything. <laughs> um, also, like, if I'm going to sing in a choir, I want to have women in it because I like having the four oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. part harmonies. Yeah. So I'm like, and it's not that the gay men's chorus isn't great. It's just like not my preference. I yeah. Like, I like female vocals. Um, but. Uh, Are you looking for a relationship? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I am. Um, I'm in this weird space where like I definitely right now I'm really focused on my career. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm trying to make that really work. Um, and it's a lot of energy um, to put into that. But um, I've had this sort of body transformation over the last two mm. years. And so I'm still sort of getting used to that. I like, you know, I get more interest now than I did um, mm. because particularly in the gay community, I think there's a lot of body oh, so much stuff. I mean, it's like obviously women have it worse than anybody in terms of like expectations of how to look. But I do think that the male gaze sort of refracts on itself in the gay uh, community because yeah. it's like you're you're objectifying men, but it's also what you want to look like. So it's mm-hmm. this self-loathing thing at the same mm-hmm. time that it's like an objectifying thing. So, you know, there are there were I, I always found men who were interested in me, but the the percentage of men who will look at me is now much higher. Mm. And I also, though, like I, you know, after you lose that kind of weight, um, you often need, and I did, you need reconstructive surgery on mm. your skin. Um, and so I had like my arms and my chest lifted. I'm yeah. having, I have to have my abs have been lifted still. I'm doing that mm-hmm. in April. Um, and so I'm self-conscious right now, like mm. with my, with my clothes off because I feel like I'm, I'm not looking my best, okay. you know, in that sense. Like I, I, I feel like I look great in clothes, but that I'm still not yeah you know and and then even with my arms and my chest which i'm very happy with now like i have big scars running Mm. like down my arm and down my side and they're fade they'll fade with time Uh. but right now i'm just kind of like do i really want to get naked with someone and have Mm. him look at these huge scars on my sides which like yes probably and i have and it's like not you know it's like i'm not seeing anybody ever but it has somewhat I will say like I've had sort of this moment of well let's focus on work right now and then when you're like done and settled and you've finished with the surgeries and mm. everything then maybe start because maybe yeah. you'll feel better but like I don't know like the um the abdominal surgery I'm like stressed because that's gonna be another scar that's gonna be like right across yes. my hip bones mm-hmm. and like like a c-section scar yeah and that's not a scar a lot of men have you know yeah. it's like i'm gonna feel weird about that yeah and i'm gonna have to get over it and like you know rub silicone gel on it until it fades yeah but like you know it's just one of those as someone who's never felt good about my body mm-hmm. it's um it's just another way to feel self-conscious about my body it's yeah. like at the same time that i'm feeling much more confident in my appearance i also have these things that i'm self-conscious about these surgical scars and it's dumb like yeah. obviously that's mostly in my head. Like, oh, yeah. If, if I, as long as I tell someone beforehand, by the way, I have some surgical scars, don't like be freaked out by these big scars. I mean, but also, do you have to? You don't have to. I'm just saying, like, uh, as long as I'm not, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm not saying, like, oh my God, I better warn people. I'm just saying, like, it's not if that it weird. It makes you more, yeah, no. It's not that weird, yeah. is what I'm saying. Like, everybody's got stuff. Oh my God. Um, so that's just a, that's just a thing I have to, again, this is why I need a therapist. This is one of those, like, that's just something I have to just like get over. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, easier said than done, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I mean, for the three years right before I got into um, eating disorder recovery, I didn't have sex. I went three years. I'm right. a super sexual person. And no, same, which is like, it's, yeah. So this, yeah. the body stuff is hard when you yeah. are a, like a high libido individual. Yes, and it's also... Because you're like, I, I mean, just want to get out there. And then you're like, but I'm self-conscious so I yeah. don't want to and there's also like this out uh, there's I mean there's like mental emotional physical you can be have I mean I was in a perfect storm of um you know f- feeling really weird about who I was as a person if mm-hmm. I was successful my relationship to men my relationship to my body that just like kept me out of the game for so long and now it's taken me, you know, five years of being in a program, working on my eating disorder recovery active every day to be able to be like, I don't give a fuck what I look like. If I want to have sex with some guy, I'm right. going to have sex with him. But it's like, that doesn't mean that the thoughts aren't gone, that no. there aren't like moments where I'm, I'm not feeling like, Ooh, like, I don't know. I'm just like, not really like feeling sexy right now. Well, but I think everyone feels that. And yeah. like part of what I will say, like one of the things about, um, working with celebrities is it's been interesting because these are people who are professionally gorgeous. Yes. And talking to them about their insecurities is always interesting because Mm -hmm. I'm just like, wow, like this guy who is a stunning model guy with six pack abs or whatever is like really concerned about X, Y, Z feature about himself. You know, like everybody's got something. Yeah. Um, And no one is perfect physically in a way that like, even if they seem that way, like everyone has something they're insecure about. And I try to use that as a, as a watchword. Like I just try to remember that the feelings that I have are, I mean, it's tough when you do have like an anxiety disorder that's like been diagnosed because you know that your thoughts are not always normal. Yes. (laughs) So it's like, Oh, that's just like an insane thought that I'm having because I'm neurotic. Yeah. Um, but mostly I just try to remind myself that like those insecurities are something that everybody feels no matter what they look yeah. like. Yeah. I am um, uh, recently submitted to a bunch of modeling agencies mm-hmm. and uh, my mom was like, do you really want to do that? And I was like, yeah, bitch, I'm gorgeous. Like, right. of course I do. It's, I mean, I love being in front of the camera more than anything on this planet and it hasn't always been that way because of you know self-conscious me being self-conscious and having to see myself reflected back in footage and things well like that's that. yeah my my heaviest thought was really hard for me because yeah. I I have always had like a dysmorphic thing where I mm-hmm. think I look I mean and here's the thing I have a kind of dysmorphic thing that is a lot better for confidence than the usual one which is that I always I always think I look great yeah and then yes. <laughs> and then I and then someone takes yes. a picture and puts it on social or like I like look in the mirror and I'm like oh actually like I look not as okay as I, I relate I to you on this and so that is the thing about like being on camera for me was always just like I think I look incredible I'm like oh my god I'm so hot and then someone yes. takes a picture I'm like oh my god I'm gigantic okay so I that <laughs> I battle with and this. I would be shocked at how when I was I mean I was like 350 pounds and I'm 5'8 Mm-hmm. So I was really big and yeah. I would think of myself as the same size as someone else I was talking to. And yeah. then a picture would be taken of the two of us and I would be twice as big as them. And yeah. it would be very shocking to me. And when I, when something like that happened, then I would be like afraid to go out for yeah. like weeks because I would just be like, Oh, actually I don't look the way I want to look. Yeah. And you know, I'm very into 
body positivity and you know everybody feeling good about themselves but I didn't feel good about myself yeah. like yeah. it's it's easier to, it's easy to say oh my god it's to easy to other say. fat people like you look amazing and I'm so like I love your look and you're like so confident and great but like you looking at yourself you're just like I am a fat piece of garbage like it's yeah. it's you say it's things to yourself you would to never say to other exactly. people or never even think about them. no never oh my god never like you know I'd be like oh my god like this cellulite or whatever I don't think about other people's cellulite because oh it doesn't god. fucking matter to me no not at all not at all and actually something that I've really um that's nice that I've discovered in my eating disorder recovery is that I um actually aesthetically prefer bodies that are a little bit bigger like I like I look See, I at, wish I did yeah that's because that in the gay community there is subculturally like bears and things where mm-hmm. it's like got big guys are into other big guys mm-hmm. and that was a lot of the interest that I got but for whatever reason it just isn't what I'm yeah. drawn to and like you know there were I would I've been with bigger it's not like I'm like opposed but it's not typically what I'm drawn to sure. and I also don't like doing the boyfriend twins thing mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. um so <laughs> and like that's very much like part of that subculture to some extent yeah um, that doesn't interest me. I like dating someone who doesn't look like me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, usually, like, you know. Um, so, like, I enjoy a contrast. I'm like, look uh-huh. at how interesting we are together. Not like, this is my person who looks like my brother, which yeah. is like, to me, is weird. <laughs> I um, think so, too. But, uh, yeah, no, I wish that that was, because, like, and I think if that were the case, I would have felt better about myself because of that gay like feedback loop I'm talking about where it's mm-hmm. like a be you do you conundrum. Yeah. And like the guys that I'm most attracted to, and this is like very stereotypical, but like I'm sitting in West Hollywood at a Starbucks and watching these beautiful guys with six pack abs run by shirtless. And I'm just like, that's what I want. Yeah. And it's not, you know, Oh, you're a monster. Right. No, it's like, <laughs> Oh God. Like I want the like societal ideal of beauty that we've been taught to want. Like, great. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, but that made it hard to love myself, yeah. I think, because I was so, I idolized those guys and I wanted to be like, I want to be where the people are, mm-hmm. you know, like the beautiful people who have six pack abs, like, which I don't, <laughs> which I've like, will never have because yeah. I like carbs too much. Like that's yeah. just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that something that was liberating for me was getting outside of that, like, and in the gay community, like we do just sort of we love to categorize ourselves into like on the app it's called like tribes or whatever where it's mm. like I'm a bear I'm a jock I'm mm. a geek I'm an otter I'm a you know so wolf many. I'm a there's so many fucking animals you can be yeah and I think that getting outside of that brain space a little bit because I came up in the nightlife like mm-hmm. when I was young and, and that was very much like I was very aware of all these subcultural things and I think that as I got older I was just kind of like but you don't have, it doesn't have to be that way. And I found guys who didn't look like me who were interested in me. And I was yeah. just kind of like, oh, that exists too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think what it really has come down to, and this isn't easy to do, and it's certainly something I work on every day, and especially in, in WeHo, which I love it here, but I, uh, I mean, I say here, we're, in, we're on the east side now where you <laughs> live, but you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it here, but I am much more self-conscious about my body here because, yeah. I mean, it's Hollywood. Like, people yeah. come here because they want to be professionally. Yeah, fun. yeah. Um, but I'm just trying not to assess my worth and who wants to fuck me, mm-hmm. which I think is difficult. 
Um, I think it's especially difficult for gay men because I think that so much of like gay culture is sexual. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our relationships with one another are primarily sexual. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's a stereotype, but it's also just like, it's fucking factual, whatever. So, you know, if like, you're not someone who people want to dance with at Mm. the shirtless warehouse rave, that's something that's a little dispiriting. Yeah. But if you can go to that party with your friends who are, you know, more traditionally model hot and have a good time regardless because yeah. it doesn't matter to you that much whether all these party goers want to fuck you. That's a much more enjoyable time to have. Yes. And so that's what I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to basically, and I guess this is like, you know, I, I have this joke with a friend of mine who's my age where I'm just like, we are 232 for this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's time <laughs> to get it. And before it was, we're 231 for this. But yeah. it started when we were 30 because I was just like, we're 230 for this. Like, yeah, we cannot yeah. be acting like we're in our 20s and we're like, we don't know what the fuck. Because my 20s were, I was a mess. Yeah. And I think that um, it's just about, it's, it, I mean, and again, it's a cliche. It's just like about self-love. But like, it, just, yeah. it is. It, it really is. is just about I, like, it fucking is, feeling man. like you're, okay with the fact that you are you and it doesn't fall on other people to validate you yeah um and that's one of the hardest things i mean i'm a pisces i'm not good at that oh but my like, god you know <laughs> like i'm doing my best here yeah um but it's you know it's so interesting too because i've never been more of this like um like i'm not going to use the word attractive uh like magnetic like as soon as i really hit my peak of I really love myself and well, I feel feeling good so about yourself good is the sexiest myself. thing in the world. Oh my God. It's it, never until I reached that point. Did I get people sort of like having this draw to me where they want to be around me. They want to compliment me. They want to do these things like not until I reached that state in my brain. And it's especially like where I'm at now, body wise, like I'm really on the heavier side than I have been in my whole life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know what? I don't give a fuck. Like I still, I went out. You answered the door in a tube top and you look great. (laughs) I went out dancing. (laughs) I went went out dancing last night and I was like killing it so hard. And I was just having people coming up to me and being like, girl, you can get it on the dance floor. Some drunk girl was like, you're the most gorgeous. And then kissed me on the cheek. Like for fuck's sake, you know, I mean, I had a, I had an experience recently where like, I thought I was just hanging out with someone and then it turned out like he wanted to have sex with me. And that fucking has not, happened to me historically and I think it's because I went into it not worried about whether that was the case and not even considering Mm -hmm. whether that was the case because I was just out to have a good time yeah and then uh, but that is attractive yeah to people and you know there have been times where I've been asked out by someone after we've spent time together not just one-on-one but like spent time together um and then you know, I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, we're we're hanging out, whatever. And then they asked me out, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh god, I was totally myself around them. And then they wanted to go out with me. Like, well, that's the thing too. Like, I think when you're, and this was true, so much of my twenties, especially when I was heavy and feeling rejected by like other gay men, like I was so desperate for that sexual approval. Yes, that it was like all I could think about. And so I think, and I think it made me seem desperate and creepy and weird Mm -hmm. because you're just like uh hey like hello like you're just you're you're if you're so 
if what you're projecting is that like neediness yeah. or that bitterness or whatever it is, people can feel that. Oh my God. It's like Jessica on Love is Blind. Have you? I have not watched it. My friend Jarrett um, works at Netflix and I was oh talking God. I was talking to him about it the other day because I need to Oh, watch. you're going to die. I've already watched I it know. twice. I don't have like a real TV in my Airbnb. So it's like, am I going to watch it on my phone? Like, I don't really want to. Watch it when you get back to New York and it's yeah. going to be the best treat I'm, you've ever yeah, given Yeah, I'm, I'm doing, I'm going to Boca Raton next week for like my parent my parents are down there so I'm I'm going to like just do that for yes, a couple days amazing. and there's a TV there and I'm like <laughs> I'm like love is blind like we're gonna drink wine and watch this oh my god and if you're going next week that means all the episodes will be out everything's gonna be out I'm because worried I'm gonna get spoiled is the thing but I feel like yeah. this is a show you can't really get I mean, like I've heard about like fights people have had I heard yeah. about like Jessica losing her mind I heard yeah. about uh, is it Jessica who fed her dog red wine? Yes. Love that for her. That's insane. That is insane. Also, that's a level of white people that uh, I think uh, is. Fucking tell me about it. But also because um, grapes Speaking are... Speaking as like, you know, myself. <laughs> hey, like um, an embarrassing white person who lets the dog lick their face. Like, but I don't let my dog drink red wine. That's well, like a... That's a... Grapes are poisonous to dogs. Uh, to begin with. Right. Before you ferment them into poison. <laughs> Like for humans, like is alcohol insane. is poisonous to humans. That's why it makes us drunk. Oh my God. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, you have a treat coming for you because I've already watched it twice. The finale episode and the reunion don't come out until next, until Thursday. And so oh, you're okay. going to be able to get it all. So I can, yeah, I'll, I, maybe, maybe I'll download that for the flight. Do it. Cause that it's like a six hour flight. So oh my I God. Could just do it. Do watch it. love is blind. Oh God. It's like my whole life now. I have a yeah. renewed. I should do that. I, I feel should, incredible. Cause Netflix lets you download stuff now. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if it used to do that. I never used to do it on my phone, but now oh I, my God, it is so chaotic. It yeah. is so chaotic. Well, the cons, I mean, it's truly like heterosexual hell. Like it, it is, is like, it is it's heterosexuality, hell. like driven to like a nightmare space. It's very Black Mirror. Like it yes. has a, it feels like it's a parody of a reality show. Yeah. Like it feels like it would be one of those gag reality shows on 30 Rock, uh, but it's yes. like real. I, th- I like posted that I was obs- obsessed about it and I reposted a tweet that said, um, my favorite current documentary on the like the devastation of the crisis of heter- heterosexuality in America is love is blind on Netflix. Well, I'm just like, are the straights okay? And like, no, <laughs> no, the straights, the, are not the straights okay. are never, the okay. straights are not okay. I have a pitch for a podcast that someone should take. It's called straight hell. And it's just, you shit on heterosexual. It's two queer hosts. Right. Whoever wants to do it, shit on heterosexual culture. Yeah. I, the end of time. Please I, someone do it. Someone. Yeah. Um, that would be fun. I mean, I just like, I feel like, but I feel like most queer podcasts just become that because it's, we can't, we can't help ourselves. <laughs> oh my God. You know what yes. I mean? Because it's just like, we can't, we just can't no. do that. Even like, even if you're, if the hosts are like by people who date heterosexually a lot, yeah. you're like, they're still just sort of like straight people. Oh my God. Because heterosexual culture is If crazy. you ever have the option to opt out and then you're looking at it from the outside, yeah. like, you know, the option to opt out. You get like, I didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, but like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, but if you, if you are someone who's into everybody yeah. and you have like the choice between like a queer relationship and like a straight appearing, straight presenting relationship, I yeah. do feel like you start to get some perspective on like, wow, heterosexuality is like a nightmare. Okay. The Bachelor exists. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's just like, that's hell. Like, that's nightmarish. It has been on television for like 30 as a seasons. For a million yeah. years like we're handing you the material on yeah. a platter to shit all over us yeah like, I mean my begging. thing unfortunately is like I can't um 
because of the profession I've chosen, yes. <laughs> I have to be careful now about like pop culture hot takes because oh, you never God, know who you're going to end up working with. I like know. I can't talk about Bravo anymore in public because yeah. I have a couple Bravo celebrity clients. So yeah. it's like, you know, I can't. Bummer. Yeah. I know. I like I can't be a guest on some Bravo podcast and start yeah. talking. About... I've like shit on goop a couple times on this podcast and like I'm looking for a full time job and I yeah, it's applied. like guess what bitch you yeah. can't get a goop job now. Yeah, I know. Right. No that's what I, I'm like, saying. Applied. Like I'm like the bachelor's a nightmare and then it's like if some bachelor contestant was like I want to do a book and I was going to make a huge amount of money and I liked them I probably would do it. So it's yeah. like I got to be careful. Oh, you know what I mean? I know. Um, But no I feel pretty confident mostly I can just say like the bachelor's hell. Yeah the bachelor is that's just hell. Crazy. Because I can't imagine what the book would be that I would want to do. Yeah. But I do have to feel like there's some social good true. to a book if I'm going to do it. Like I, I like I could never rep like a Trump administration official or something. Like, no. I'm just saying like those books make yeah. bank, but I yeah. would not feel comfortable doing that. No, I mean, um, yeah. Anyway, I, I feel like you got to, especially in like the world that we live in, it's just there's not enough money to kill your morals that's the thing it's like it's it becomes like dirty money that i don't want yeah um and the bachelor would feel kind of like dirty money (laughs) the bachelor is dirty i like i mean if it was a bachelorette i actually think uh, that the bachelorette is a fun yeah twist yeah um except that the bachelorettes are held to this standard of behavior that the bachelors are not yes like i remember I watched Caitlyn's season of The Bachelorette mm-hmm. and she like dared to have sex with more than one person. And yeah. It was like, what a whore. And it's like, it's her show. Yeah. They're all here to fuck her. That's the point. Yeah. And when The Bachelor fucks up on like all the girls in the fantasy suite, that's expected. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just like, there's a very, um, there's just like a very like, lawful evil energy to the bachelor yeah yeah there really it's is like lawful very, evil is 1000 percent. yeah like i'm just like it's like very regimented kind of evil that's just like systemic oh my god and just the way that they like i mean i suppose like the chaotic evil energy of like rock of love bus oh. which i love you know what i mean like I love that's like if 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 like like all of those like celebrity shows like yeah. they were at least like it was just pure chaos and it yeah. was like build whatever you can out of this ladies like mm-hmm. figure it out like become something God, i love rock of love I um love and love and flavor of love, love and all of those shows like yeah. those at least i think there was a, a, a beauty to the chaos where yeah. like whereas like the bachelor feels to me like a studio system that creates influencers also they true yes i actually was having this conversation last night like they're like no one i feel like no one's even on that show to date people anymore they're on it to get a fab fit fun contract absolutely i was saying to someone last night that i only watch because i'm such a reality tv head and i don't watch the bachelor but someone a few years ago was like do you want to be in my bachelor fantasy league and i was like hell yeah i bet i can do this that's fun and because even though i and just because i was i knew all the tropes of reality tv i won and so i just watched that one season yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to like shit on these girls for going on to Oh, the, I'm not the saying bachelor. anything bad about no, them. No, no, no. I'm no. just saying it I is. I think prior I had a judgment. Yeah. I was like, why would anyone want to do this? But it's like. Oh, they listen, become wealthy. Some if your of them. whole goal is to be like an influencer. If you can make it to the top can, four on The Bachelor and be a fan favorite, yeah. you can then live off that for yeah. years. Yeah. If you want to like shill tummy tea for the rest yeah. of your life and that's like the goal is that you just want to like be chill no like i really influencer. liked that girl um jade who was on chris souls's season of the bachelor he's oh, the one yeah, who just, it's a deep cut i'm not gonna he, get it's it's fine she just but she well she was just in the news because she and her husband who she met on bachelor in paradise with because oh, he was a bachelorette guy that's a little more chaotic evil they 
uh, yes, Bachelor in Paradise is chaotic evil in a good way. Um, they um, just got in trouble for like cheating on some like sports betting website. <gasps> it's those, yes. those people. But okay. I've always liked her. And the thing is like, she made it happen. Yeah. She was on The Bachelor. She got to the top four and she got eliminated because she had been a Playboy playmate. And mm. like it, that came out and it was not like the Bachelor didn't like that. Because he was like a traditional guy or whatever. Excuse me while I roll my eyes. I know. I was just like, who cares? She was like one of the college girl spreads or whatever. It's like, who cares? Um, But anyway, she was this beautiful, sweet girl. And then she went to Bachelor in Paradise. And she hit it off with this guy who people liked. And Mm -hmm. they became this like influencer couple. Is she the one that had a baby in her closet? Don't know. (laughs) They did have some babies. They got married on TV. Like they made it work. Okay. And what I'm saying is like if you... And they seem really super in love. So like that's great for them. I'm just saying like if you get on one of those shows and you make it far enough and you're a personable, likable individual and, you know, you're pretty enough to be on The Bachelor in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. But you can really turn it into a career. I mean, I like allegedly they cheated on the sports betting website. I don't know. I don't know them and I don't know anything about sports betting. So I'm not the person asked, but like they monetized everything. They they had their, their wedding was televised. They have influencer spawn con stuff all the time. And I follow them because I was like, I like that girl. I liked her on that show. Yeah. And like, am I influenced? Probably (laughs) like I've never bought the the flat tummy tea, but like, she looks great. Yeah, yeah. Certainly took off the baby weight or whatever. Like, did she do it with flat tummy tea? Probably not. Yeah, probably is, not. You know, like, but I went. I went to a bachelor casting once, which is insane because I've never. Besides this season, I've never seen the show. But I was in New York, and I was there for. I stay with my friend um, every time I go, and I was there for a comedy festival, and I was staying with my friend free of charge, and I was not going to see her the whole fucking time, and so I was like, I want to say thank you I want to spend time with you you're my friend um you know so let's like fit it in this window and she was like well there's a bachelor casting that I want to go to and so I was like all right I guess I'll go to the bachelor casting with you because we had to wait in line for three hours before we got any questions so I went to a fucking bachelor casting with her and then we got up and they were asking the questions and and they were there was something where I was like oh I don't drink alcohol and they basically were like you are excused Which is insane. No, but that's how they get drama going. It's the drinks are free. Oh my God. It's so. That's how a lot of reality television works, is my understanding. Like, is that any reality show you're on, it's like you have to pay for, you have to pay for stuff, but like drinks are comped because of course they are. Yeah. Like, that's always what they said about The Bachelor. That's always what they've said about Housewives. It's always like, it's like because you want to get people loosened up yeah you want to get people crazy you want to yeah. make them the craziest versions of themselves so well it's like alcohol. it's like margaret on jersey doesn't drink mm-hmm. and she's so in, That's in why all she's those iconic. but it's like in all those scenes you see her just like looking around at everyone and she's just like this is why i think she's the new bethany frankel i love bethany her. was even though she was in the liquor biz she was not like getting wasted no i love margaret um i've met her she's she's really lovely yeah um but i always think when I'm watching those episodes, I'm always just like, I cannot imagine. Or like Lala now on Vanderpump yeah. is sober. I cannot imagine being like the only sober person when everybody's drinking. I that to me, I'm like, God bless anybody who does yeah. that. Especially, especially I someone am that who's, person especially all the time. someone who's like working a program. Like yeah. that's you know. But um, 
because that's really admirable to me. But like, I just, I'm just like imagining in a context of a reality show where you're, where everybody's supposed to get sloppy and fight with each other. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't imagine being. No, I don't know, man. I mean, I just find. The Bachelor, like the idea of being on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette and being sober is horrifying. No, 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 no. (laughs) Because I'm like, I am always the sober person. And I also, I love to go out. I love to go out dancing till four in the morning. I love to go to bars. I love to do it all. It's no big deal. And, but I'm always the only sober one there. And I would say most of the time I like find the fun in it, but yeah, sometimes it fucking sucks. Yeah. I mean, just the bachelor in particular, just because they're all trapped in that house together and it seems like it would be hell if you're not drunk. Hell. That the idea of just like, they, they, they did you a favor there. Just being yeah. like, you don't want to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause you need to be like drinking Pinot Grigio all day long to do this show. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and experience the nightmare that is, that is that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, thank you this for having me. so wonderful. Thank you for indulging me on that, like, 20-minute discourse of The Bachelor. Uh, like, honey, you know. You, I'm just like, well, I'm just like, honey. it has nothing to do with the subject of this podcast. Oh, no. I will, I mean, it's, it's insane that I didn't start, like, some sort of reality TV podcast instead, because I just, oh, my God. I love nothing more than talking about reality TV. But I like this concept. I think, I mean, I've been listening to, it's, you know, you're, it's new, obviously, so you don't have yeah. a ton of episodes, but I've been listening, and um, it is interesting to hear people talk about their journey toward feeling mm-hmm. good about themselves, because yeah. I think that we're all on that yeah. quest. Like, all of us are just trying to figure out how to be the version of ourselves that we can love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I ran into someone or no, I had dinner with someone the other night that she, I told her the concept. I was like, Oh, I have a podcast about confidence. And she was like, so what do you just talk to the most confident people, most confident people on earth? And I was like, no, that would be boring. That's not really the point. <laughs> it's like, not the well, no, point. when you invited me on, I was like, I'm not particularly <laughs> like, like I project a certain confidence that sure. I think is, good yeah but in terms of like but like inside my brain it's like a stewing nightmare so I was just yeah. like I was like I don't know if I can give any advice on being confident because I'm still figuring this shit no I out. mean that's the thing is that I would say a, I don't like front necessarily all of my confidence is real but are you kidding like if people the voice inside my head it's just that I'm really good at fighting it away I'm yeah I'm just good at compartmentalizing away. yeah that's so like it. I can be confident because I'm out and we're having a great time and I'm the life of the party or whatever but like yeah. then the next day I'll be like uh I probably was a nightmare and I and everyone hates me and like you just have to like then get through that you have to just push through that yeah well I mean Jesus Christ I'm like unemployed I don't have a ton of money right now I'm in a weird transitional period of my life and I have a beautiful apartment oh thank you for an unemployed person with no money thank you thank you Um, LA drives me crazy with this because I'm just like in New York like (laughs) you probably pay the same amount for this that I would pay for like a shoebox with a hot plate yeah that Um, (laughs) that that is that is exactly correct but um no, I mean, I have like lots of things to really feel not super confident about right now. Are you kidding? Like, I'm not just like sitting in a mansion with a perfect career and family and all those things. But, but yeah, very few people are. Yeah. That's and the those thing. people also hate themselves. That's what I'm saying. Like, no one is actually fully content yeah. with their life. And I think that that that's been the biggest part of like growing up has mm-hmm. been realizing that has been realizing nobody actually feels like they have their shit together. Yeah. Like everyone is actually on a screaming roller coaster of anxiety all the time to some extent, some people more than others, but like there are very few people who are just like living their lives. Like I am killing it at all times and I feel great. No, you don't even, you, you're not that way until you're like 80 fucking five. Right. Yeah. 
we, none of us get there until yeah. then. My my mother told me that like turning 50 was a real game changer. She was like, I truly like, she was like, I truly found after I turned 50 that like, I did not give a fuck. Yeah. And that's and so far away from I know. Me. I'm like, I'm like, can't wait. But like, assuming the planet holds up long enough for us yeah. to be 50, like that sounds awesome. Yeah. But cool. I um, guess I'll just hang on for 20 years. Yeah. But it's like, we're right now I'm 32 and I need to not be yeah. constantly freaked out about yeah. whether I'm doing the right thing or not. So That's insane. Um, okay, tell me all the things you want to plug. Yes. So um, you can read more about me and my work at connorgoldsmith.com. That's C-O-N-N-O-R, like Sinead O'Connor, Goldsmith like a jeweler. Um, you can go to fuseliterary.com, F-U-S-E, literary, uh, to read more about the firm I work at uh, and all of my colleagues who are amazing. Um I am on Twitter and Instagram at Dream of Organon, uh, which is not ideal SEO, but <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be a professional account, and then it became kind of a brand. I'm trying to get Connor Goldsmith on both of them, but it's just like they're inactive accounts that yeah. are not, you know, we'll see. But at the moment, it's just Dream of O-R-G-O-N-O-N. It's a Kate Bush lyric. Um, and uh, gosh, what else? Um Kristen Doty and Michelle Alexander's book, He's Making You Crazy, is available for pre-order now on Amazon or your favorite indie, if you go to IndieBound uh, or Barnes & Noble or whatever, wherever you prefer to purchase your books. Um, I have lots of exciting um, client announcements coming up, so follow me on Twitter and whatnot to, to keep track of those. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's the, just like you can read all about my clients and I love them all and you should buy their books <laughs> amazing okay well follow me at what the faust and follow confidential on um at confidential pod and rate review subscribe connor thank you so much thank you so much for having me this was fun yay okay bye <laughs>